Thank you. Um, my identity is so much more than my sexuality. No one has ever introduced me as Ed, my mate, the heterosexual. Um, yet it's also a major force within me. I find I meet it every single day. Um, so this is a big, uh, sensitive, and for some personal issue, a topic with lots of issues. It's also important and it's not going to go away. Um, I've heard uh, and read many Christians talking about it, including on social media, uh, and some of the things they say uh, leave me feeling ashamed. If we were to turn the tables, how many of us have uh, listened to what gay people might say about Christians and what gay people think of the church? Um, have we ever asked uh, someone, what's it like to be gay? What's it like to come out? What messages have you heard as a gay person from the church? What would good news of Jesus Christ look to you? Were you born gay uh, or was it nurture? And if we haven't asked those questions, um, then how can we really consider our views to be balanced and fair? Um, in preparation for this, I, uh, one, of my, one of our best mates who is gay, I picked up the phone and had an hour with him and I just asked him those questions, as well as questions around promiscuity and questions, other questions I've always wanted to ask. And he gave me a great response. It was full of humanity, full of grace. Um, and I'll quote him a little bit during the day, but I have written it up. And if anyone wants to read it, I would sort of uh, encourage you to consider it. Um, then send me or Marion an email and, and we, can, we can send it to you. I've got a short version and a long version. Um, before I get going, I don't have all the answers. I sometimes wonder, though, whether we're even asking the right questions. And either way, I'm going to try and think about uh, how Jesus is good news to our LGBT friends. Um, given that Jesus never once mentioned this issue, what did he leave us and what can we take from it? Uh, um, so in terms of structure of the talk, I'm just going to give you three foundational things about Jesus. I, think we sh we could, I hope we can all unite around and agree on. And then three stories from Jesus that uh, might give us some practical uh, helps. On that. So the first thing is just that Jesus died for every single member of the LGBT community. Every friend of ours who's gay or lesbian, Jesus died for that person. And that person is made absolutely in the image of God, no more, no less than you or I or Barack Obama or anyone like that. And just that is a foundational tenant of our faith, that our friends who are gay are made in the image of God. And Christ loves them so much, he would die for them. The, other, the second thing is just that from his birth to his death, uh, Jesus accepted those society didn't, and often the religious didn't. So if you think of the Gentile king, if you think of the first ever missionary who was a female Samaritan divorcee, uh, David's mentioned them, but that uh, homeless, ostracized man, the man suffering leprosy, the woman who was unclean, the prostitute, the adulterer, the tax collector, the Canaanite woman, the zealot, the prodigal, the Samaritan, the crippled lady, the tax collector, I've mentioned that twice, uh, right up to his death where there was the um, criminal who he accepted into the kingdom. And I can't find any example in the Gospels where Jesus didn't accept someone. I can't find any example where he rejected someone and therefore I cannot come to the conclusion that he would do that for our gay friends. He, uh, it, it just blows my mind that he would. So therefore we have to, if we're followers of Jesus, send messages of love and acceptance to them because those who were out in that society... He said, no, you're in. Often against the thoughts of the religious people. So that's the second foundational truth. And coupled with that is actually, not only was that the case, but also those who people thought were in, 
he said were out. So he said the first shall be last. He said, um, I tell you the truth that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. So that's ahead of me. That's ahead of Ed Walker. Uh, That's ahead of most of us here who've been to church for many decades. Many will prophesy in my name and I will say I never knew you. Um, So those who are out were in and those who are in, Jesus said, well, you might be out. And that kind of concept of Jesus ought to, at the very least, give us a sense of humility and reverence as we think about this issue. Another verse, and there are lots of verses where Jesus kind of turned the tables on the Pharisees and so on. Another one was where he said, um, but now you claim you can see your sin remains. Uh, So often people in his time, and and myself and now, we want nice, clear, boxed-in answers. A clear, black, white, there's this, there's that, that one's in, that one's out, all those sort of things. Jesus rarely gave straight answers to straight questions. Uh, Often he answered a a question with another question, and sometimes he told stories which baffled and and puzzled and confused people. Uh, So we all know very well the story Jesus told about the uh, transvestite uh, who left home. He went to university, he came out at university, and uh, he was sitting there, he was depressed, and he felt beaten up by society, kind of rejected, and one time he went out on the beers, and he actually did actually get beaten up. And he sat there in the canteen. Often he would sit there alone because no one would sit to him. He was kind of different. Everyone kind of knew he was different. And he would sit there and people would ignore him. But he saw some people walk past who not only ignored him, they also looked at him just in a glimmer and he could see that they judged him just before they went into the Christian Union meeting. And two of his lecturers were also Christian and he knew they were Christian. And he also heard them talking before they went into the meeting. So excited were they about the text they were going to unpack for the, for the students. And then eventually, after many months, the left liberal atheist saw him, sat next to him, befriended him, included him in his friendship group, signposted him to counselling for his suicidal thoughts, and slowly, slowly, he felt more whole. He finally got his degree. And Jesus might say to us, who is your neighbour if he isn't your transvestite friend? Go and love as the lefty liberal atheist or good Samaritan um, the other story he told another story again that story he told when he was juxtapositioned between a kind of uh, uh, lawyer and some uh, and this one he told when he was juxta- the next one he told when he was juxtapositioned between the tax collectors some sinners and some Pharisees some religious people and the next story is a funny one because the climax of the story is in the middle rather than the end and we know it very well and the climax is when the father runs in his best gear runs as as he can to greet his son he hasn't seen him for a long time he takes off his best jacket and he gives it to the son he takes off his best ring and he gives that to his son he says I love you you are mine you are worthy and we all know that story very well what would happen to that exchange between the father and son if we changed one word of that story and we took the word male and we put it in front of the word prostitute so the son went away and he slept with male prostitutes or male and female prostitutes would that in any way affect the exchange between the father and the son no of course it wouldn't it wouldn't at all affect the exchange between the father and son this is the radical nature of Jesus and the stories that he told and very often we've heard those stories many times we haven't perhaps been fully understanding or if when I tell those stories it jarred something in our hearts that's okay 
what we are finding then, if that did touch something in our hearts, is we're finding a part of our heart that is like the elder brother in that story. The good news of that story for, for us is that the God or the Father goes out and implores the elder son to come and join the younger son round the table and to eat that fatted calf. The elder son was in a sort of bit of a sulk, wasn't he? He was in a self-righteous sulk. But that would be something I'm sure we can all agree on, that Jesus would encourage us to eat with our younger brother who's gay or our younger brother sister who's lesbian. Uh, And I'm sure, I I can't think we can come to any other conclusion from reading the Bibles, that if we are to be a follower rather than just a believer of Jesus, we should be making time with our friends who are gay to to invite them around the house, to have a coffee with them or to go around the house and eat with them. Um, and if you take nothing away from today, take away a commitment to eat with our gay friends from now until the rest of our lives. <coughs> so those are the three foundational truths. One, that Christ died and we're all made in the image of, of God. Two, that he would accept those that society uh, makes to feel like outcasts. And three, that we can certainly at least agree to eat with and share bread with our, our brothers and sisters who might have a different sexuality to us. And if we can all unite around those points, that's a good starting point, isn't it? And just three, if you're with me so far, three practical things that we can do when we actually do want to engage and relate with our our friends. Um, Because often, they will feel very hurt by church. They might have felt very hurt by the messages they hear from Christians. Um, And this woman would have felt very hurt by, by messages she was receiving from religious men. And they were about to stone her, they are about to kill her. And what did Jesus do, and what can we learn from that? Um, well, as we know, the first thing Jesus did is he didn't say anything to her. He ministered to her through silence and sat with her. The second thing he did was he meet, met her support needs by diffuse, skillfully diffusing the crowd that were going to kill her. He literally saved her life. He actually risked his life for hers. The next thing he did, when he actually got into a conversation, he said, neither do I, the Son of Man, condemn you. He gave her the good news first. I'm not here to condemn you. And then finally he gave her some advice. But that was the order that he did it in. And we as Christians so often invert that order. And we're so busy giving people advice on how to live that they're not listening to us by the time we get around to telling them that Jesus loves them. They haven't listened to us. Again, if my friend, my friend who I spoke to, he said, Ed, I will never be religious because of the messages I heard when I was coming out in my 20s. Uh, he said... for the new generation, they haven't heard those messages so strongly. For those coming out now in their 20s, you've got a chance of actually getting them into church, but forget me, because I'm gone. That's kind of what he said. So listening, I would say, is really important. I think my view is that Jesus was a great listener, um, and often he uh, would answer a question by by asking a question, and I just love to think of him really listening hard. What is going on in your answer? What are you really saying? And I'm just going to do an exercise and prove to you, that I'm going to try and prove to you that you can... Preach the gospel without saying a single word. Okay, so I'm going to split the groom down here through the beds. You, this side, you're A, and this side, you are B. And I'm going to ask you a question, ask you to think about it, and then just feed back my answer. So the question is this. Uh, if you just close your eyes and just think about where you are. So the question is this. Think of a time, if you are group A, where someone has not listened to you, where someone hasn't taken on board what you were saying, where you felt you put forward an idea and it got kind of kiboshed or not properly listened to. And if you're a B, if you're on this, the, the right-hand side of the room as I look at it, think of a time where you have put forward an idea or someone has really genuinely listened to you and what that's felt like and they've you know, taken on board what you're going to say. And just spend a few moments thinking about that, how you felt when you were in that space.
And now those on this side of the room, those who weren't listened to, just tell me how you felt when you were not listened to. I'll turn it around with you. Yeah. What's that? Frustrated. And the other one? And now this side of the room, how did you feel when someone listened to you? Um, well, what? Affirmed. Affirmed. I thought you said burned. <laughs> Didn't fit with what I'm talking. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> right. Any more? And we could go on. By saying, I, I do this often actually, we do this often at work. Often you get unworthy and you get felt worthless, uh, felt worthy. You often get these kind of words. And just put yourself in the, how would you feel if you were a gay man and you felt the church had never listened to you? This is exactly how they would feel towards us. Conversely with your friends, and the same with our friends, if we just go in there and preach the gospel too often... They may have all these feelings in there and I think you've never listened to me. If we can just go in and listen to them, uh, then they will feel, they will feel loved. I mean, this, my friend who, who, who I spent that hour on the phone to, the next day he texts me and goes, Ed, thank you because the way you always care for me, you and Rachel, some of those Christians that have always been loving. That's what he said. I didn't do anything. I just listened to him for an hour. And yet you can, without saying anything, without all, just by asking questions, you can make people feel loved. And you're actually giving them the gospel. Because that prodigal son felt unworthy. And his father was saying, no, you're worth the best ring off my finger and the best calf off my field. So just to encourage us to listen. Because so often I think as Christians we're told that actually people came to faith through some brilliant words that some evangelists said. And that kind of puts pressure on us, doesn't it? But I think by, by being listeners... Um, and I think Jesus was a great listener. He was asked 80 questions, but he asked 300, so I've been told. So we should be the same, right? And to sum it up, I've just put it there, non-judgmental listening is what we're about. Why non-judgmental? Well, there are lots of reasons, but uh, I'll give you just one. And I think that if Jesus were here, he might say to us on this issue, if you don't judge your gay friend, you will not be judged. If you don't condemn him, you will not be condemned. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. And if you give to your lesbian friend, you will be given unto. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing into your lap. It's biblical to be non-judgmental. So that's the first practical thing I think we can do. Just be, be good listeners and to trust that listening uh, really helps. The second thing is uh, a story from Mark, which, and I love the way Mark tells the story. You'll be very familiar with it, but he winds up the tension of the story, and he, and he brings it to a climax again. And it's almost like if it was a soap opera, it would end, bang, 
at a point. And what you do see, just in the final few seconds, you see a picture of the religious ruler who's got massive road rage because he's so anxious about his daughter and Jesus is trying to help his daughter. And now this woman is coming in, ruined it, and he might not get there in time. So he's angry towards this woman who's also made Jesus unclean. And now can Jesus come into his household? You've got the, you've got the disciples there also <coughs> impatient, wondering what this, why is, our, why is our rabbi leader stopped for this woman? You've got the crowd who suddenly heard this woman who's kind of confessed that she has been bleeding for 13 years and has now touched Jesus, which is a major taboo because Jesus has to go and get himself clean for a week. This is crazy. What is Jesus going to do? And you've got the woman who's there, knelt down, trembling in fear, ashamed of what she's just confessed in front of you know, dozens of people. And then the final scene, the camera stops on, is Jesus. And it's like, what is he going to do? How is he going to deal with this woman in this situation who's touched him, who dared to touch him? Bang. Soap opera ends. You have to wait for next week to see what happens. Um, so what did Jesus do? He had a choice. How did he deal with that situation? All eyes are on Jesus. He stepped across, and he pick, I think he, I like to imagine him picking up this woman, touching the woman back, and affirming her. And in so doing, he smashed through centuries of religious oppression against females. Uh, he had a choice between the law and love, and love triumphed over the law. And he not only did he smash through uh, religious oppression in that moment, he lit a fuse of liberation that continues to this day. So that now most women in this country, but not all, are able to engage economically, socially, and religiously four weeks out of four, which they just couldn't do 2,000 years ago. And I like to think that liberation started that night in the heart of that religious ruler. Because as he went to bed, and he reflected on the day, and he thought, this morning, my daughter, now on the cusp of puberty, uh, was about to die. And now I think I'm going to be a little bit more gracious to her and maybe also my wife every four weeks. Um, so does that apply to our situation? Um, well, it's up to you to think it does. I think very often, though, we read the Bible uh, and we frame this discussion around uh, our gay friends or our lesbian friends uh, and we read the Bible through a lens of marriage, sex, morality, and piety. Uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in that. But if you take off that lens for a moment and read the Bible through a different lens, and you read the Bible through a lens of justice, you might see things slightly differently. So my friend who I interviewed, without any prompting, said, we are an oppressed minority. And you might connect those words with Jesus's, where he said, I have come to release the oppressed. Different way of framing the narrative. Probably a mature way to discuss it is actually to look at through, read the Bible through both lenses. I can't see anyone now. <laughs> so I think just in terms of practical terms, I think it's really important we listen to our, our gay friends. I think it's important that uh, we understand Jesus was, you know, he... Love triumphed over the law when he met individuals. And the other thing I'd say about this story, which I really love, uh, but I still don't fully understand, is what did he not say to that woman? What did he not say to that bleeding woman that he had said just two chapters before in Mark? What had he not said to that woman that he said to the paralytic man? Because he said to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say that to the woman. Why didn't he say that to the woman? I don't say I fully know the answer, but it may be something to do with this. That woman for 13 years had been made to feel shame 
for what she had to go through. But it wasn't her fault that she was bleeding. She couldn't help the fact she was bleeding anymore. I can help the fact I'm white. It wasn't her fault that she was bleeding. So if Jesus, but yet society and religious society would have made her subtly and subconsciously feel like she was to blame or wrong or an outcast because of something she couldn't do anything about. So if Jesus has said your sins are forgiven, psychologically he's compounding this sense of it was my fault. I'm, I'm, you know, he'd have only further commanded that. And every, Jesus didn't always get people to have their sins forgiven in all his encounters. It's just helpful to remember that. Is that relevant to this situation? For me, it is, because I've come to the conclusion, and you don't have to agree with me, but I, I get you, I'd encourage you to think about this. M- my conclusion is it's not a sin to be gay. It's not a sin to be gay. My friend who I spoke to on the phone, what he said was that I've always known I was gay. I can't do anything about it. I cannot aspire to changing who I am. And he said these words, you wouldn't ask a dwarf to change. He's also a mixed race, actually. So he said, I I can't change the colour of my skin either, Ed. Tell me what to do. That's fine. I get that. But you can't tell me to change my being. He said, I wouldn't choose to be gay. I'd love to have had children. Um, Now, that's the conclusion I've come to, that it's not a sin to be gay. And that has some interesting ramifications for how we talk to and the messages that we give to gay people, if you come to the same conclusion that I have. Um, Because sometimes Christians say this, and I think, you know, and I understand what they're saying, but they'll say this, you know, God, Jesus has forgiven me. I've done lots of sins, so therefore he forgives my gay friends. Well, that sounds like good news, But as you say that to your gay friends, as they go away and they think about that and that message percolates into them, what they're doing is they'll take away a message of this. Hang on, your sins, you're equating with my being gay. I can't do anything about my being gay. So you're saying I need to be forgiven for being gay. So you're therefore saying something innately about me is sinful. Well, you're condemning me then. That doesn't sound much like good news to me. Another way, sometimes people, you know, love the sinner, forgive the, uh, what is it? Love the sin and hate the sin. And I understand that, but someone who's not churched, they may take away the message that, are you saying my being gay is a sin? <coughs> if, that's, I mean, if that's what you believe, fine. But either way, it's not a good I can't say that's good news, particularly. So what I say, what I try and say, and uh, I said to someone just 10 days ago, one of our tenants, I'd listened to him for an hour, I, I had the opportunity, and I just said, you know, I think God loves you as you are. God loves you as a gay man. That, that, to me, that, to me, is good news. Now, I've come to the conclusion that that's what I believe in. You don't have to share with me. But that's how I think we can express good news to our gay friends. And that's the second story. The, th- the third story is this. And again, Jesus is juxtaposition between... So I'll just... Yeah, it juxtaposition between um, a vulnerable in- individual and those that wanted to sort of... Uh, lots of religious people. They were trying to kill him at this stage. His disciples said, don't go there. It's dangerous. You might get killed. He kind of... In the end, he chose. And he went. He risked his life in order to save this one guy's life. And he, he came there with just some of his key disciples. And uh, I'm just going to interrupt it and tell you a story about another friend I had or someone I was in a... Uh, chatting to once. She was in her 60s. She'd married in her 20s. Two years into her marriage, she said to her husband, "Uh, are you gay? And he said, no, I'm not gay. He asked a few other times. 20 years later, they've got two kids now. She walks in and visits him in hospital. And he turns to her and says, whatever her name was, Claire, I've got something to tell you. I'm gay. 
She says, Alleluia, finally you've admitted it. I've known gay couples, I've known this happened where some couples have stayed together, they divorced, and I'm speaking to her 15 years later, and you can hear from the tone of her voice, she still feels really violated by this man, because this man denied her a true marriage. This man, if you like, lived a lie for 20 years to her. She never could, had to keep something hidden for her. That part of him, that sexuality part of him, he had to keep in a cave, hidden in secret. And when Jesus went to Lazarus, who was also in a cave, hidden in secret, he got his disciples to roll away the stone, bringing light into that area of, of Lazarus's life. And he said to Lazarus, come out. And he then got his disciples to take off the grave clothes, which would be very sensitive, painstaking, tender, long-term work. But I just say, my own encouragement is, if anyone in here is gay, I, I can't see there's any biblical precedent for lying about it or keeping it hidden. Uh, the truth will set you free. And what is hidden is meant to be disclosed. What is concealed is meant to be brought to the light. That's what Jesus said. And so if we're dealing with people and we're kind of thinking, you know, that perhaps they're coming out or sharing with us their feelings, I get the fact that some people are fluid in their sexuality. I understand that. But a lot aren't. And I would just say encourage them to be honest. I don't think there's anything unbiblical in that. Um, so those are the, if our three foundations are, one, Jesus Christ died for all of our friends who are gay. Two, uh, he would have accepted them, I'm sure. Three, we should eat with them. I think we can minister them through silence and good listening. I think we can uh, not tell them they're sinners, that's my view. And I think we can encourage them to be honest. Um, I'll just end in with a story. I've got loads of stories, but um, there was a lady who was sex trafficked into this country from Lithuania. She uh, eventually came out of... Uh, situation multiple abuse and she got taken in by the church and it was a house purely for former people of trafficking situations and after a while she realized they were just controlling her as well and they were saying to her your lesbianism is a sin and you need to, we need to cast that devil out of you and she said well I can't do that so she fled that church ended up in the arms of another man eventually fled that and then found herself in another church house uh, they took her in knowing she was gay. They loved her. They accepted her. Uh, she would self-harm. They'd pick her up from A&E. They'd take her back to the house. She would then obliterate herself with alcohol. They'd pick her up. They'd take her back to the house. After 18 months, she felt ready to leave, so she moved on. Then that didn't work out. So she said, can I come back? They said, yes, she can come back. And now she's moved on again. And throughout that time, she was not judged by the church. She was loved by the church. And she would now say she's in a place where she's able to, you know, work and everything else and whatever else you think she's looked back on those two years with that church loved her didn't judge her supported her and enabled her to be who she was meant to be that to me feels like good work good news and i'm proud to be associated with it so i'm going to just close there i've spoken a lot um and i'm just going to just invite the band up perhaps we'll, we'll stand and i'm just going to close in a prayer if that's okay Lord, I just, uh, just thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I find his, his, what he says stands the test of time. What he did stands the test of time. And Father, if there's anything I've said today that's not of you, I pray you would banish it from our hearts and our minds. But if, uh, as we think about what we've talked about, anything that is of you, I just pray your Holy Spirit would 
sprinkle into our hearts and so we would be able to represent your love here on earth. Uh, and I think of those words of Paul where he says, in, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Maybe also he'd say there is neither gay nor straight. The lion can lie down with the lamb. And my prayer for this church and all churches would be that uh, people of all sexualities can come and find it as a refuge and a place of acceptance, a place where they'll know God loves them, God died for them, they're in, made in the image of God. Uh, he accepts them, he doesn't judge them, he doesn't tell them they're sinners for something they can't do anything about. And um, just a place where they can feel loved. I ask this in your name. Amen.